Hello everyone, we are back once again for your weekly update on All News Nerdy. This week we're going to be discussing the announcement of a new film from the director of Rogue One. Uh, We have an update on the filming status of Hellboy the Crooked Man. Another update from Kathleen Kennedy on the Daisy Ridley-led Star Wars film. And then a a casting announcement for uh, Daredevil Born Again. I'm your host, Brennan Sam, and this is the New Wave Nerds. All right, so this new film from director Gareth Edwards. It is uh, titled The Creator, and it is a sort of post-apocalyptic AI sci-fi action I'm going to use the word epic, um, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. So I'm just going to start off by reading you guys the synopsis here real quick. And it's it's a little long, so bear with me. Amidst a future war between the human race and the forces of artificial intelligence, Joshua, a hardened ex-Special Forces agent grieving the disappearance of his wife, is recruited to hunt down and kill the Creator, the elusive architect of advanced AI who has developed a mysterious weapon with the power to end the war dot 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 and mankind itself joshua and his team of elite operatives journey across enemy lines into the dark heart of ai occupied territory only to discover the world-ending weapon he's been instructed to destroy is an ai in the form of a young child now based off of just purely that um that synopsis i will admit it seems a little lame (laughs) you know it seems sort of like a basic story um but they they dropped a trailer for it the other day, and I have to say, the trailer looks absolutely incredible. I mean, the visuals are stunning. It's got some of the um, the epic master shots uh, that we see in, in Rogue One that really display the, the gravity and the, the full scope of the battle scene. Um, the effects look phenomenal. I will admit, the AI heads, the heads of the AI, specifically the like the in the style of that child, they do look a little weird. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fully set on on those. Um, but apart from that, honestly, I'm I'm really excited for this. It, it, it's it looks like it's going to be really entertaining. Um, again, the story a little bit basic. I'm not a thousand percent sold on it, but you know, it's still we we know very little. Um, but it does to me at least seem like it's going to be. A very visually stunning film um, and that's that's really one thing that I've been trying to pay attention to more as of late um, like the level of, of the cinematography the effects just the the establishing shots um, in the past couple of years I've really started to focus on that so you know <laughs> I, I suppose we've got some hope there um, just based off of how beautiful Rogue One was um, but talking about the cast list a little bit here, it, it does seem to be pretty stacked. Uh, so as I mentioned at the outset, you know, the director, uh, is Gareth Edwards. He's, uh, is mo- as far as I know, he's most famous for Rogue One. Um, but he also did 2014's Godzilla, which, you know, frankly, I'm not a huge fan of, but I'm a little biased. I don't like Godzilla in general. Um, I don't really like big kaiju battles. Those are are really uninteresting to me. But, you know, that being said, uh, I'm a huge fan of Attack on Titan, which I just started watching recently, and a massive portion of that is just big old kaiju battles, and I think those are interesting. So maybe my perceptions have changed a little bit since the last time I saw saw Godzilla. 
but I do, um, I do remember that it, it was a, a very beautiful looking film as well. You know, it's as much as I hated the story of that, it was stunning. I thought the, uh, I mean, the trailer originally is absolutely incredible. The way that they, they build the suspense of the, the reveal of Godzilla and the, the editing style choices there. And then the score um, that is sort of 2001 esque, obviously very beautiful. Um, But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that film. I know a lot of people really love it. I think shade does. I'm not, I, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure he's a big fan of that. Um, Gareth Edwards also did another film uh, titled Monsters, I believe, which I've I've never seen. Um, let's see, where is it at? Um, not not the the one with um, <laughs> with Evan Peters as Je- as Jeffrey Dahmer. That's an entirely different thing, as far as I'm aware. Let's see. Came out in 2010. Where is it at? There we go. Oh, maybe he wasn't the director. Oh, no, he did. Why does it show special effects first for him? But yeah, it looks like this film was not exactly incredible. It it looks like it has a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, Who's in this? not really anybody it looks like but yeah so that one was was also directed and written by gareth edwards um is it on anything it is not really it's on some some of the free services but watching ads irritates me so much that i try to avoid that as much as possible um so yes it's being written and or excuse me directed and co-written by gareth edwards the other writer is a gentleman by the name of Chris White. Maybe it's Weitz. 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 I don't know. Uh, W-E-I-T-Z. You let me know how, how you think that's spelled. White, or pronounced rather. White was my first inclination, but I, I don't know. Um, so this is the gentleman that wrote Rogue One, as well as the, the Golden Compass, um, that the old film, which I don't, I know that I watched, but I honestly, I don't remember it all that well. Clearly did not leave a lasting um, impact. I want to read the books, though. I've heard that they're very good. Oh, Nicole Kidman was in this? I didn't know that. Oh, Ian McKellen. Daniel Craig. What a crew. Christopher Lee. Sam Elliott. Wow. Yeah, this sort of Kathy Bates. This does have a bit of a stacked cast. Oh, and that was also directed by Chris Weitz. So he directed and wrote that. Um, but yeah, so he's, he wrote uh, Rogue One as well. And then the the remake of Cinderella that came out. Oh, geez. I want to say that was 2000. Yeah, it looks like it was 2015. Um, I don't remember. I know that I did see this, but I don't remember it. Um, did I see it or did I just see trailers for it and then ignore it that's also a possibility i'm not a big fan of the live action disney remakes i thought beauty and the beast was good um but i don't know it's like come up with some original ideas why don't you (laughs) i and you know like maybe some of these are good like i don't remember cinderella and i never saw aladdin with uh with will smith um 
and I, I refuse to watch Mulan just on principle as much as I love the animated one is my favorite. If it's not my ver- my top favorite, it is certainly one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. I really enjoyed that one, but on principle, I refuse to watch the remake. Um, and then Chris White's additionally wrote um, the the um, the Pinocchio movie that came out just last year. Uh, not the good one, not Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which was incredible, and uh, I think won the Oscar for the animated, um, the animated category. But yes, he wrote the to- the horrible one uh, that everybody hates. It has five stars and a thirty-eight critic score, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Tom Hanks. Yeah, this one I don't. I never saw it, but the uh, the trailer was just god awful. <laughs> it was terrible in every single way. Um, it it just looked completely uninteresting. But the Guillermo del Toro one was awesome, so you should definitely go watch that. So sort of. A weird, a weird mix of, of things in this gentleman's discography, or rather filmography. Obviously, you know, we here are huge fans of Rogue One, um, but then obviously all the other things that I've listed are either not good or not phenomenal, let's just say. Um, not typically well-received. In addition to those people... This is the one that I'm super excited about. Uh, the director of photography or the cinematographer is Greg Fraser. Or is it Greg Fraser? Or did I just type that wrong? Um, no, it's it's G-R-E-I-G. Greg? Greg? I don't know. You know, I mean... Oh, that's a weird one. I would I would say Grieg, but I don't know. I don't know where he's from. Oh, he's from Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. So maybe it's just Greg. Just Greg. Um. Anyways, the reason I'm I'm excited about this is because this guy has a sort of ridiculous filmography. The you know the other two they've got some some hits, they've got some misses, but this one, um, at least lately in the past couple of years, he has been stacking up credits. So this is the guy who was the director of photography for 2022's The Batman, which you all know how we feel about that. We've definitely discussed how beautiful that film is plenty of times. Um, I still think it's ridiculous that that film didn't get nominated for the cinematography Oscar. It was just horrifically beautiful. Um, He was also the cinematographer for Dune, uh, Denis Villeneuve's one that came out man, was that two years ago? Um, I want to say it was 2021. Yeah, it was. Um, and he's also um, attached to Dune Part 2 as well, which is coming out later this year. Um, and let's see, he's also done three episodes of The Mandalorian. Let's see, let me look up which episodes they are, if they are any that that uh, that stuck out to me. Here we go. Oh, so the fir- the very first episode, um, The Mandalorian, uh, Chapter 3, The Sin, and Chapter 7, The Reckoning. Um, I don't remember Chapter 3 off the top of my head, but obviously the first and the seventh episodes were absolutely incredible. 
Okay, the description for episode three is the battered Mandalorian returns to his client for his reward. So this is when he gets the Camtono of the Beskar, gets his new suit, or armor, not suit, and then I suppose this is when he steals Grogu from, from Werner Herzog. Um, and this is, he's got a little, a little, uh, melee with grief Karga and his bounty hunters, I believe, perhaps, or maybe this is, no, this isn't when he steals him back. Maybe that's the next episode. No, it, it is this episode because the next episode is Sanctuary where he meets, um, Cara Dune on that, that other planet, uh, with the, 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 the people, <laughs> and they they uh they like fish or whatever um yeah i i remember i watched the, i should remember that i just watched that series like whenever we did that episode like maybe a month ago um let's see what else is on this guy's roster he was also the cinematographer for vice the uh the film about about dick cheney um which was which was fun uh well it was it was it was it was a good. It was a good movie. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, not a big fan of Dick Cheney, but that was a, a great, a great film. Um, and then also, he was the cinematographer for Rogue One as well, which, as we've discussed time and again, is uh, incredibly beautiful. Um, so, at the very least, I feel assured that this film is going to be very visually stunning, if not, um, if it isn't going to have necessarily the best story or or, or the best writing or acting as and uh but i'm pretty excited i think it's going to be a pretty fun one but let's see what is who is the actual cast list um let's see so starring in the film is um john david washington who i believe is um is denzel's son at least that's what shade keeps telling me i've never fact checked him but i believe him um yeah, so he is playing Joshua. In addition to him, we have uh, Ken Watanabe, who was in Godzilla, among other films. Uh, Gemma Chan, who I only know from Eternals. Which one is she? I think she's Cersei. Let's see here. Yes, she is Cersei. Um, you know, I gotta be honest... I've blocked out most of Eternals, so maybe she did a good job in that, and it's just that the film is awful. <laughs> so I can't remember. I just know that the film is, is horrible. So maybe she was okay, and she was just, you know, working with what was written, but not 100% sure on that. Uh, joining them, we have Ralph Innocen, Allison Janney, Benedict Wong, whom I believe is, uh, is Wong from, from the MCU, Danny McBride, Madeline Una Voiles, and Sturgill Simpson? That's a weird one. <laughs> what is what is why is Sturgill Simpson involved? Um That's a that's a weird one. But you know, so we've got um an interesting cast list to say the least, if not the most the most lauded not exactly a cast list that has a ridiculous amount of credits between them, but I'm I'm really interested to see where they go with this. Um, I hope we get another trailer and and some more info coming out. Um, I'm curious to see 
like what are, what are they going to do with this child is it, it's it's clearly going to be you know the kind of story where like you know the guy Joshua uh Gareth Edwards grapples with whether or not he should kill the kid and in the end he decides oh no we can we can we don't need to kill him he's he's alive uh and he can help us defeat the ai or some sort um i really hope that it isn't just that absolutely stupid basic story frankly i hope they i hope there's a little bit of nuance um i don't know we'll we'll just have to wait and see Moving on to our next story, another one that uh, bodes well for a project that I, I, I care about. Hellboy, the Crooked Man, has officially wrapped production, and it has Mike Mignola's approval. Mike Mignola, obviously the, uh, the creator of the original comic book series, um, so that's pretty exciting. I believe he says that it is... Um, Let's see, where, where did I have this quote? It is the most true to the, to the comics that, then, uh, that we, have, we have seen. Um, and it's a bit of a younger, a bit of a younger Hellboy, I believe. Um, so I'm pretty excited. It's, uh, here we go. This is, this is the quote I was looking for. It says, This adaptation promises to be a unique cinematic take on the story and one that stays loyal to its comic origins. So that's pretty good. You know, lately I've been trying to get more into comic, the Hellboy comics. Um, I obviously read the first collection, and I enjoyed that greatly. I thought it was super fun. The Hellboy movies hold a special place in my heart. Um, I honestly... Looking back, I'm sure that they're really not that great. <laughs> I'm sure they're fun, and obviously it's Guillermo del Toro doing his stuff, making some fun monsters. Um, but honestly, if I had to guess, uh, I haven't watched them for quite a while. But if I had to guess, I'm sure that they're not exactly incredible. Um, but they do; they are important to me. I do enjoy them. I remember watching them all the time. Um, so this film, The Crooked Man, will report is going to reportedly expand Hellboy's world through one of the most beloved issues of the comic series. Um, as we've discussed before, it is based off of the comic of the same name, The Crooked Man, wherein you know Hellboy is placed in 1950s Appalachia, and he has to uh, go about figuring out what's going on with this uh, this weird gentleman from his past whose name I believe is Jeremiah Wilkins? Yes, there we go. A small community haunted by witches led by a local devil with a troubling connection to Hellboy's past, the Crooked Man. Um, and I, I suppose uh, I have a little bit more information. I think the last time we talked about him, I didn't necessarily know much about him, but we have a little bit more info. I've done a little bit of research. So... Oh, it's Witkins, not Wilkins. I read that wrong. Jeremiah Witkins, uh, who was an evil man who profited from war and the troubles of others. So a bit of a miserly gentleman, obviously uh, a bit a bit greedy. Um, and uh, I guess he was hung, so that's always fun. But he returned to the land of the living as a demonic soul collector. Well, who can blame him? I'm sure 
hanging out in hell isn't necessarily all that fun. I'm sure if I were there, I would want to come back. Um, oh, this this guy looks... Is this what he looks like in the comics? Oh, man, he looks... Uh, he's a little worse for wear. He looks kind of like... Imagine Gollum, but he's got a little bit more meat on his bones, uh, and he's got a beard, uh, a, a, a relatively bushy beard. Um, maybe bushy isn't quite the right word. It is a little, it's a little angular. Um, oh, it looks like one of his eyes is a little, little, he might be blind in it. The pupil looks a little milky. Um, he's got some drool dribbling out, he's got some drool dribbling out of him. Uh, he's got a a bit of a a gap in his teeth. Um, geez. Yeah. I'd, I'd never seen him before, but wow, this is, this is interesting. (laughs) But yeah, so, um, the, the president of the, of the company that's producing this has said that it's a departure from all previous Hellboy films, uh, because Mike Mignola, you know, the creator of the comics is, is actually involved in this one. And he is uh, shepherding an authentic version of the stories and the character to the film. And this is evidently the first in a series of films that will captivate audiences in familiar and new ways. And then they say, Brian Taylor, who is the director, uh, is an expert across the board, and I couldn't think of a better person to bring this story to life to show our audience this different and original Hellboy slate of films. Now, if I remember correctly, Brian Taylor, I don't think has done anything that was that was particularly interesting. Uh, nothing that really spoke volumes, let's say. But, you know, everybody starts somewhere. You know, it's going to take a little while. So hopefully this uh, this sort of breaks the mold and is is as awesome as I want it to be. Um, within uh, during an interview with Collider, Taylor added uh, a little bit more information to the to the Hellboy reboot and he promised that they're going to lean into the horror aspect of it Uh, so this is the quote from him Um, so first of all actually let's skip that part that's just some background info Uh, but some of the comics Mike Mignola was doing at the time had a very different feeling uh, from the Guillermo del Toro films more lean and mean creepy folk horror a younger hellboy wandering the dark corners of the world paranormal investigator night stalker the crooked man in particular is such an iconic book written by mike drawn by richard corbin another legend set in the late 50s for me it's my favorite version of the character so the appeal of this one to me is to go back to that and do a real reset and really give us that version of hellboy which i just don't think we've seen yet now as always i am uh, i'm I will forever be interested in a movie where the the directors, the writers, those involved are true to the original uh, depictions of that character. You know, when they when they go to the source material and they're fans of the source material, I think that's almost always a good sign that even if you know the film might might not necessarily be you know perfect or beautiful, at the very least it will be true to character, and that's one thing that. Um, I've, I think I've I've mentioned in relation to the the acolyte, the new Star Wars TV series. Even if it's not particularly wonderful, the uh, the creator, I believe, the showrunner Leslie Headland, I want to say is her name, is a huge fan of the the extended universe, and she's read a bunch of the um, the Legends books, and so I feel like the 
it's at least in good hands. And that's another reason that I've, I'm still so angry about the way that they did Finn. I mean, John Boyega is such a massive Star Wars fan. He was so excited. Um, and they really did him 30. I'll forever be complaining about that. Uh, that I, they just, they did him so wrong. Uh, but anyways, back to Hellboy. Taylor went on to say that the film is not going to shy away from gore. Uh, he says that he pitched an R-rated folk horror movie, and the team here at Millennium, uh, that is, again, the production company, have been nothing but supportive. It's a great group of people, and they love horror. He also added that the film is going to have three leads. Alongside Hellboy, the movie will star Tom Farrell, who I believe is from the comics, and then a mystery character who is unique to the film. Um, so... I always do get a little bit weird when, um, you know, they they create completely new characters. Um, and, you know, it sort of goes hand in hand with what I said earlier. I always like when they sort of stick to the source material. And obviously, if you create a new character, you're not exactly sticking to the source material. But I find that when you do make new characters, oftentimes they feel very shallow. Um, and maybe that's just me thinking that because I know that they ha- they don't have a deep story related to the character or a, or a deep history uh, with regards to the comic run. Maybe that's just you know me me putting my own interpretation on that. But it feels like whenever you add a new character just out of nowhere, it often feels like there's just nothing there. That character is a little bit empty. Um, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm partially certain that, (laughs) that that's just me. Maybe that's not true at all. And I just have, um, these ridiculous high expectations, but I don't know. Um, either way, I'm, I'm really excited for this film. You know, as I've discussed before, this is one that I, uh, I, I always get excited anytime we see updates. Um, I'm glad that Mike Mignola is reportedly happy with it, uh, but maybe he's just happy with it because he's actually involved and maybe it's still going to be trash. I don't know. Maybe he likes cheesy, cheesy movies and that's why he's happy with it. And this is going to end up being just a horrible film. That's fun, but ultimately it has a stupid story. I don't know. We'll just have to wait. Uh, I do not believe that we have a, um, a, a release date for that just yet, but We will keep you updated as more information comes out. Our next story today, uh, we have a little update from Kathleen Kennedy on the Daisy Ridley Red... Oh, that's such a hard phrase. The Daisy Ridley-led Star Wars film. So uh, just a quick reminder, that is the, the film that they announced just recently. It is going to be set, I believe, 15 years after The Rise of Skywalker. And it is going to focus on Rey's rebuilding of the Jedi Order. And so uh, Kathleen Kennedy was recently on a podcast called Dagobah Dispatch, uh, which I've never heard before, but that is an incredible name. Um, I wish we'd thought of that. That's, that's, that just really rolls off the tongue, the Dagobah Dispatch. Um, I wish our name... The, po- the name of our podcast was as equally fun as that. You know, New Wave Nerds, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't quite 
have the gravitas that uh, Dagobah Dispatch has. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> um, so in this interview, Kennedy said, the question that we're going to ask with new, or- with new Jedi Order and with Rey is, does the galaxy need them anymore? Do they want them back? So there's a lot of food for thought in what we're doing, whether it's in the past, present, or future. So I guess the major theme of this is is going to be that re- wrestling with that question of does the the galaxy need an established Jedi Order? Is is the Jedi Order a force for good, or is it uh, not a force for good? Um, I would argue that they certainly have been. Sure, they've made mistakes, as with any any human organization does. But um, regardless, I think it's an interesting question, um, and it's an interesting framing uh, for for the film. And it's it's obviously something that they have uh, touched on in the prequel trilogy, mostly with the the Clone Wars TV show, but the. Um, th- the sort of public perception of the Jedi. You know, obviously in the original trilogy, there was never any discussion of that because one, the Jedi didn't exist. <laughs> Most people didn't, uh, I guess, believe even that the Force existed, let alone that that Jedi really uh, wielded it, um, as evidenced by by Han Solo, I suppose. But the um, they sort of hit that, especially in, in the Clone Wars, the sort of issues that people had you know the sort of um the idea that the jedi order is supposed to be a a peacekeeping force and yet here they are waging this war the sort of public perception that the jedi have have uh shifted from keepers of the peace to just soldiers and there's um one of the the greatest story arcs in in uh, that I can honestly think of <laughs> uh, is is the the bombing of the Jedi Temple. Um, I believe this happens in I want to say season six. How many seasons are there? Is the question. I think it's I think it's season five because I think the final season is um, was season seven. Season six was was the weird um, like lost tales that sort of. Well, it wasn't totally weird. I mean, the first part of it, a lot of it was actually really good, especially when uh, with Tup trying to go through and figure out what's going on with, um, uh, or excuse me, Fives trying to figure out what's going on with Tup. I mean, that was awesome. But then they have the weird like Clovis storyline with the banking clan that I didn't necessarily enjoy. Oh, and then there's the weird, I'm looking at the the, the episode list right now and reminding myself, there's the weird storyline where with Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu, that was, that was weird and I just irritates me just because I don't like Jar Jar, his voice is annoying. Um, the speech pattern of the Gungans irritates me to no end and I don't think it'll ever, <laughs> it'll ever not irritate me. But then we end out the season with the, uh, the storyline of, of Yoda going on his journey that would eventually lead to um you know him and obi-wan learning how to become force ghosts obviously that's when when qui-gon begins teaching them and that sort of sets up some major things in in uh the the original trilogy that didn't really have any basis in in the sequel trilogy um or excuse me in the prequel trilogy have i been seeing sequel the whole time i don't know but 
the original reason I brought this up is in season five, um, there is the story arc of the the bombing of the Jedi Temple. And I don't want to spoil all a lot just because I think everybody should go watch it. Um, it is incredible. Uh, it culminates, and this isn't a spoiler because it's it's sort of the basis for, for her appearance in The Mandalorian, and I guess basically everybody knows the basics of it by now, but it ends with Ahsoka Tano leaving the Jedi Order. Um, but the way that that happens is what is super interesting to me. So the basis for the storyline is that somebody bombs the Jedi Temple because there is this growing sentiment of um, the, the disapproval in the Jedi. This sort of public is starting to believe that the Jedi are actually just perpetuating the war in an attempt to gain power. Um, when in fact, you know, the, the actual person who's perpetuating the war to gain power is, is the Chancellor himself, whom the public generally adores. Um, but the propaganda that uh, the sort of Republic put out that it was really the Jedi who were perpetuating things and, and were trying to institute what would essentially be a, a military dictatorship. M- maybe not military dictatorship. I suppose it would be a, a sort of theocratic regime, I suppose, because at least the way that they refer to it is the Jedi are sort of like a religious organization. That, that I suppose that's a theocratic regime is probably the most accurate way of describing them. But that's sort of the general sentiment um, of, of, of quite a few people. I don't know if it's, if it's the majority, but it is certainly quite a few people um, who are constantly protesting outside of the Jedi Temple. And eventually there is a bombing that goes on. Um, and the... The culmination of that, the the end of that storyline where uh, the instigator of the bombing is instigator, the perpet, the, uh, what am I trying to say here? The one who perpetrated the bombing, um, who again, I'm not going to say their name just because it is a, a big spoiler. It is a big twist. Um, and I do want everybody to go to go see that that series, um, when that person gives their speech in front of the, the Senate, uh, to, to sort of absolve Ahsoka, uh, it is, it is really interesting to me to see the, the fact that, well, not everybody, you know, believes that the Jedi are this force for good. It, it, it adds a level of depth and nuance to the universe that hadn't been there before, um, and so I guess this is a long way of saying <laughs> that I've I've interested that idea, um, that comment from Kathleen Kennedy intrigues me. I'm I'm interested to see where they go with that. Um, obviously, I think there are there are directions to take that statement that I think are kind of lame. Um, but the fact that they have acknowledged that that is an idea and that's sort of something that they have to wrestle with, um, it is is really interesting to me. I think it's going to be, I am, as much as I didn't, as much as I hate, <laughs> I hate the sequel trilogy, 
Um, I am much more interested now than I think I was when we previously reported on that. You know, I, I think it's, it's interesting to say the least. Um, I don't know. I, the, the real question is whether or not Daisy Ridley is going to be a, an interesting lead, whether or not she uh, is going to be able to catch my attention. Cause like, like I said, I mean, I've never seen her in anything else. Um, so my only frame of reference for her is in the sequel trilogy and the, the sequel trilogy is awful. And I think in that she was terrible, but I don't know necessarily necessarily if that's because of her or if it's just because, you know, the writing is awful and there's no through line and nobody knows what's going on. There's no overarching plan. It's just a weird hodgepodge of, of various storylines that don't necessarily make sense. Um, although while we're, while we're talking of the sequel trilogy, I do want to address something that I have been wrestling with as of late. I've discussed before that, um, my favorite film of the sequel trilogy is the last Jedi. And I never really understood a lot of the criticisms of that film. You know, I get that it was weird, but I don't think in it, and that it it was out of place, but I felt like those were not necessarily because of that film. It was because of the weird storylines that J.J. Abrams had left open at the end of Force Awakens uh, without communicating with um, without that guy, uh, Ryan Johnson, that's his name, without communicating to him what the overarching plan was because, again, there was no plan. Um, but then I saw an interview with Sam Witwer, who is the, uh, he does the voice for Darth Maul in The Clone Wars. Um, he also does, he's, he plays Starkiller in that, uh, the Force Unleashed video games, um, which I thought were fun. I haven't played them since I was a child, so maybe the stories are lame. But I think the general consensus among the internet is that, that those games, at least the first one, are incredible. Um, so maybe I'm not alone in that, but those are ones that I would like to go through and play. It's just that I think they were only on the PS3 and I hate the sort of like PS3 streaming thing on the PS5. The controls are just so unresponsive. I've just been so so spoiled by next gen, uh, next gen consoles and next gen reaction time that going back to the PS3 irritates me to no end, but I do want to play those games. Anyways, in this interview with him, he talks about how, and it, it, this is something that I, I'd heard before, um, and I'm not going to do it justice, but the way that he described it resonated with me more than I, more than when I had heard anybody else say it. And it was that, you know, the Luke Skywalker that we saw in The Last Jedi is not the Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi. Um, th- they're not the same person. And it it doesn't track now i at the time of viewing the film i sort of i the way that they explained it i i sort of just like accepted it i was like oh okay well this works this makes sense to me but then going back and really thinking about it through the lens of the way that this this gentleman sam whitwer put it it sort of has altered my opinion so Obviously, in in Return of the Jedi, Luke is the person who is so full of hope 
and belief that he was willing to lay down his own arms and just risk risk his his life uh he was willing to throw aside his lightsaber and just sit there and let the emperor torture him and ultimately kill him because he wasn't going to hurt his father and he knew that Anakin Skywalker was still in there right and then at the end of and obviously you know that is the redemption of Anakin Skywalker where he fulfills the prophecy of the chosen one and and brings balance to the force uh and uh, up until you know Palpatine comes back I guess um which is still stupid but whatever um you know he fulfills his destiny as it were um and then you know next we see him in the last Jedi he's completely beaten down and he's lost all hope and he's willing to almost murder <laughs> his his nephew you know the son of his best friend and sister you know he's willing to just just murk him in the middle of the night obviously you know he ch- he does ultimately change his mind he doesn't go through with it but at the same time then he puts himself in this self-imposed exile and you know the the jedi are gone it's it's a very defeatist mentality that that doesn't mesh with with the character um and at the time of the viewing i sort of understood the change in tone well with the um i believe what did he have visions if i remember it's been a while since i've i've seen the sequel trilogy um but i I think he had visions of of the return of the dark side or whatever of of kylo ren falling to the dark side or some such um and at the time it sort of made sense you know he had this this image of himself that he had failed and that's how he lost that hope but then going back it's like mm, i don't know if it really i i see where you're going with that but at the same time it doesn't quite feel true to the character and maybe it's just because there wasn't enough time to really flesh that out maybe if they had done some more work um building that up perhaps in 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 the force awakens or done a little bit more to really establish that in the last jedi maybe it would be different and maybe people wouldn't have such a a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to that film but that being said i do think that is the still the best film of the sequel trilogy obviously anything is better than the rise of skywalker um and my complaints with the force awakens i don't think will ever be changed you know it is literally just a new hope that is the exact story um just just bigger and more grand and a little bit more more extreme and radical but you know it is literally just the same story and I just, I can't get behind that, <laughs> you know, like, I just can't, I can't, even though I'm, it's a fun film, it's very fun to watch, it's, it's uh, another one that is pretty visually stunning, um, but I just can't get behind the story, because it is literally the exact same, and I refuse, <laughs> so there we go, that was, that was my long, 
my long rant on the sequel trilogy. I've been thinking about that for a couple weeks now, and I just wanted to to clear the air, as it were, um, because the internet is forever, and I didn't want to get too much flack for saying that The Last Jedi was awesome, and I never understood why anybody didn't like it. I understand now, and I, I understand, I slightly agree in some cases, though I still think it is the best of the trilogy. Um, moving on <laughs> to our final story of the week, we have some updates for daredevil born again so this is this is mostly this is it looks like looking back on this episode this is just a (laughs) it's gonna be a bunch of things that really interest me um a lot and aren't necessarily groundbreaking but that i care about so you're just gonna have to gonna have to be on this ride with me a little bit um so we have clark johnson who is uh i believe an actor and a director or maybe maybe it's a writer let me let me let me let me look this up um this is not this is not him let's see oh maybe it is no this is not oh is it him hang on if this is not him, then it's a weird coincidence that these gentlemen have the exact same name and have some of the same credits. Um, geez, he's done a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, it looks like it is. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it is. Um, their pictures, pictures, their pictures just don't don't look. Oh no, they definitely are. Okay, there we go. That's a much better angle. Okay, crisis averted. That was confusing. But Clark Johnson, who is known, um, he's done some some work on a show called Evil. Uh, let me see. It's a TV series from 2019. It's on Paramount+. Plus. Um, moderately well-received. Actually, pretty well-received. 7.7 out of 10 as far as stars go. Um, I believe he acted in it as well as had some uh he directed a few episodes i believe um wait that's still his acting credits i hate the imdb desktop page um oh he just directed one episode uh let's see he's the director of the new miniseries love and death starring elizabeth olsen um the taken tv series which i would imagine is is horrible frankly a uh, couple episodes of homeland um, I thought I saw it earlier, but now I'm looking, I can't find it. But he was he was involved in some capacity with Luke Cage. A couple of episodes of The Shield, which I believe is a show that, that was well received. Let me let me find this. Yeah, director of a couple episodes of Luke Cage. Um I love that show. I don't I don't I haven't seen it in forever, so I can't remember if these are any good episodes. But you know, so he's got some credits. He's got some credits. Mayor of Kingstown as well, which I believe is um that I believe that's a Jeremy Renner flick, or I believe it's a TV show actually. He was in The Wire, um, which again I've never seen, but I know it is is widely regarded as uh an incredible TV series. One it's been on my list forever. I just have never never gotten around to it. Um, oh, it's only 60 episodes. That's not that bad, I suppose. Maybe I'll come to it at some point. But, um, Clark Johnson, he is set to, uh, appear 
in a couple episodes as an actor, as a character in the show. Uh, and he's also directing a few episodes. I believe, yeah, he's directing two episodes. Um, and while it hasn't been announced who he is playing, it is believed that he's going to play a character known as Cherry, who I, I don't know who that is. Um, you know, I read the comic not all that long ago, and I don't remember anybody by that name, but uh, I'm not I'm not sure. That's a it's a weird one. Who who who's Cherry? <laughs> um, I'll have to do some more research on that. But as if so, again, going you know, th- this is a guy who's who's done quite a bit of stuff. You know, like I, I mentioned, uh, the Shield, uh, Love and Death, uh, Evil, Homeland, some Law and Order, Luke Cage, The Wire. You know, he's a he's he's quite um, he's got quite the impressive filmography. Um, yeah, but. Hmm. So he joins the cast list. So uh, he's that's we have him in addition to Charlie Cox, obviously Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, Margarita Leviva, Artie Fruzhen, Sandrine Holt, uh, Michael Gandolfini, who I believe we we talked about last time. Uh, we discussed Daredevil. He's going to be playing somebody from Staten Island, whom we don't know the name of. Now, again, in my research. I haven't. The only person who's really from Staten Island that I've I've been able to find is a guy who eventually takes on the Venom symbiote, um, and obviously you know that's not somebody who's involved in the comic, <laughs> so I don't know where they're going. Um, and then obviously we have John Bernthal, who's going to return as the Punisher. Super excited about that. So this is this is a weird one. I I still don't quite know you know, how faithful this is going to be to the comic of the same name. We've got a lot of people um, who are showing up, who, who, or maybe showing up isn't quite the right, the right phrase, because we're not a thousand percent sure, but there's quite a few people, um, oh, I just looked up Cherry, um, in the Marvel database, and the only person by the name of Cherry is uh, somebody whose real name is Darlene Penelope, or Penny Cherry, who is a member of the tracksuit mafia. The tracksuits you will you may remember are the sort of main bad guys in the Hawkeye TV show. Um, according to this, in at least a few comics, she has a bit of a romantic tryst with Clint. Um, oh, but then... Oh, I have no idea what's going on. She helps Kate Bishop. I hope we do get it. Speaking of, I hope we get a little camo of camo, a little cameo of um, Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop in this. That would be interesting. This is interesting. This is weird, huh? I don't know why people would. I mean, that's the only person that came up when I looked up cherry in the context of of marvel i guess cherry is also the name of a a car hawkeye's 1970 dodge challenger does the car talk i don't think so 
I mean, it's a '70s Challenger. I don't, I don't think in the '70s we really had talking cars. When did Knight Rider come out? That that seems like an '80s kind of thing. Um, what's what is this Earth? Oh, this is the MCU. Nineteen ninety nine, ninety nine. Um. Oh, this. Oh. There was a little a little Easter egg to this car in the Hawkeye TV show, which I didn't know. I didn't notice that. I didn't pick up on that. That's weird. I'm so confused. Like, what the heck is going on? Oh. No, Cherry Blossom is another girl. But this one does have ties to Daredevil. Cherry Blossom was recruited by Matt Murdock to serve as a hand assassin in a team of comprised of five female warriors known as the Nail. It's kind of a stupid name, but it makes sense. The goal was to eliminate the corrupt underbelly of New York City's Hell Hell's Kitchen, but when an innocent woman was kidnapped by the hand, the Nail's leader Colleen Wing refused to subject her to her, their cruel interrogation tactics. God, I like Colleen Wing when she was in um. Oh, gee, many Christmas. What's that show called? Iron Fist. I could... Oh, that was really stupid. But again, Cherry Blossom, that, that's another girl. Or woman. Huh. I don't know. This is weird. Am I missing something? Why, why would people think that he is playing that character? Um... Let's see here. Who is Cherry in Daredevil Born Again? Um, an insider took to Twitter to state that Johnson's character Cherry is similar to Brett Mahoney's role in the Netflix Daredevil series. So Brett Mahoney, that was the uh, like the sergeant that often helped um, Matt and Foggy. But, that, I mean, that's just such a weirdly specific name to give to a character that is completely different. I'm so confused right now. I don't know what's going on, guys. I know as little as you. (laughs) Um, But that's so weird. Huh. Oh, here we go. This is an article from SuperheroHype.com, so it's obviously a very credible source. Um, oh, they just say the same thing. It's li- it's literally the, like the exact same article. This is this is yeah. I don't know, guys. I'm not I'm not certain about this. I'm really not certain. I wonder who is going to be playing Foggy and Karen. They have to be in this this. Otherwise, I'm going to be mad. And as of right now, we it should it should be the people from the Netflix show, but we don't have any update. But Anyways, I guess that's um that's all we've got this week. Um so yeah, this was this was really just an episode where I wanted to talk about the things that I cared about. <laughs> not not necessarily, you know, huge groundbreaking stories. So I hope I hope that it was at least mildly enjoyable, a little edifying uh, as it were. But that's all we've got. So um make sure that you uh, go to the Instagram. We're trying to post new articles and uh, stuff there every day on our actual feed. So drop a follow. 
uh, and, and go ahead and like those too. And then uh, if you feel so inclined, you know, share the profile so that we can grow just a little bit more. That'd be much appreciated. Um, but that's all we've got. So uh, we will see you next time.